Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And if you want to open your Bibles along with me, it's amazing to think of this, but we're starting Exodus. And so if you want to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy. I was testing. I just wanted to make sure you're awake and paying attention before I Exodus. No. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Um, just a few announcements. Today is the last day to sign up for the marriage retreat. I'd really encourage you if you're married or if you're engaged or going to be getting married, I encourage you to sign up for it. It's really going to be a blessing to each one who comes. It's going to be from 1 to 5 with a uh, dinner following. And if you're planning on staying for the dinner, if you would put a check by your name, okay, just so we kind of know how many to, we're going to have it catered, just so we know how many people are coming. And the charge is going to be $100 for me. No, just joking. The charge of the seminar is nothing, and we're going to have the, the catering very minimal. I mean, I think last time we catered, it was, what, $13, something like that. So it'll be at a, ver a very minimal amount. And, uh, but the seminar is free. So please sign up. And if you know people that should come, sign your names up as well. And um, also, um, we're going to be having a New Hope seminar September 24th. It's going to be at the Gathering Place, and I'd encourage you to go to that. Uh, there's going to be, what's the football player's name again, Frank? Ben Watson. And he was uh, MVP for the New England Patriots, so I know Danielle's going to go to it. And, um, but he is a beautiful Christian, and we just encourage you to come to that as well. And also, this week, there will be no Wednesday Bible study. I'm having uh, outpatient surgery Tuesday, so I'll kind of be laid up for a few days. So there won't be any Bible study this Wednesday. And I think that's all the announcements I have to make. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how we thank you for your Holy Spirit and the way he's able not only to redeem our souls by his indwelling, but also to guide us and to direct us in everything we do. We thank you for God the Holy Spirit and for the fact that we have that assurance of salvation, that seal, that deposit that cannot be removed. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just strengthen us for the days that lie ahead, that we might be your witnesses no matter what happens in this world. And Lord, as we dig into this portion of Scripture in Deuteronomy, I pray that you would bless, anoint, and use it, that it might encourage each one who's here today to walk more closely with you. And so, Father, we thank you for all the promises that we find in your word. And Lord, use me, anoint and use me to minister to and speak to these, your people, I ask in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, um, it's interesting because this portion is all about passing into the promised land. And we have to understand there are so many promises God has given us including passing into the promised land of heaven, either at death or the rapture, which I believe is probably pretty close at hand. You know, there's a book that Vi and I have been talking about, and we read it years ago, and then Pastor Frank Jr. read it, and he raved about it, and it you know, ended up uh, in, you know, incurring our curiosity in such a way we went back and we read it again. Actually, we listened to it, and we're, going, we're through listening to it a second time right now. And so it's called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, T-O-Z-A-R. And if you have a cell phone or if you have YouTube, 
All you have to do is go on there and say, A.W. Tozier, Pursuit of God, audio, and it comes up, and it's free. And you can listen to the whole book. We put it over our bows. And who's the guy we like? Mark Christensen. Uh, some of the other guys aren't quite, you know, he has kind of a little British accent, and it's really good if you listen to it through with Mark Christensen. A.W. Tozier, The Pursuit of God, audio. Mark Christensen. Okay. And, um, but anyway, one of the things that the book brings out that really speaks to me and encourages me and it always has is to come to the realization that our faith is not about religion. As Christians, we don't believe in religion. Did you know that? Because religion is man-made. It's man's attempt. It's rules and regulations and doctrines and different theses that are put out there saying, if you're going to be a Christian, these are the things you need to do. And it's put you and I as believers in the mindset that when we wake up in the morning, okay, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I can't do this and I can't do that and I've got to do that. And you missed the whole point. Being a Christian means you belong to God. It means you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit who's able to lead and guide you. Being a Christian means you get up in the morning and you say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me. And it doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor. It doesn't mean you're going to you know, be a missionary. Maybe you might be. Maybe the Lord will call you to that. But understand that everywhere you go in this world, you are a missionary. Do you know how many people out there don't know Jesus Christ and they need to know him? You know, especially in the times in which we're living. You know, the Word of God has more to say about this time in history than any other time. Did you know that? Because we are living in the last days. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Israel? Now, I don't mean Israel Hayward. I mean, he's great at the guitar and he has a good voice. But the reason we know this is because of the state of Israel. Israel is the nation. May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. And when Israel became a nation, the time clock to the end began. And so one of the things that we were watching for when Israel became a nation, those of us who follow prophecy, one of the things we're watching for is for Jerusalem to be taken over by Israel. And in 1967, that happened. But then no one was willing to accept Israel or Jerusalem as being the capital of Israel. And we're waiting for that day when the world would declare Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. And guess what? It happened not too long ago. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It had to be the capital to fulfill all the prophecy. Well, the next thing we should be watching for is for Israel to end up having some kind of wealth that the rest of the world would have, want to have. And lo and behold... The largest natural gas deposits are found in Israel. And also they have probably as much oil now that they've discovered as any of the other nations around them. Well, then the next thing we want to watch for are those nations listed in Ezekiel 38 that would gather on the northern part of Israel in Syria, ready to come down on Israel. And here they are. What were the nations that were mentioned the ancient names were given, but it was Russia, Turkey, Iran, Sudan. Wow, all those nations are there. What you want to do is, last week, Amir Serfati, who is 
a uh, lieutenant commander in the Israeli Defense Force. He's a born-again, Bible-believing, loves-the-Lord Christian. And he's our guide when we go to Israel. And he has a website called Behold Israel. Easy to remember, Behold Israel. It's free. You just go on there, and he's got a YouTube site. And he had a picture of this whole armada that, of ships that have come in, submarines, destroyers, everything, have come in in Syria, in the Mediterranean Sea, up near Syria, north of Israel. And guess what? They were all Russian. And so we see the things that are happening <clears throat> in our world today, and we get so caught up in, in COVID-19 and all these other things that uh, I think Satan uses it to get our eyes off of what's important. Because here's the thing. You know, we all have our political views, but God doesn't. God's in charge. And it makes, well, if this one gets in the office or if that one gets in the office, oh, I don't care who's in office, God is still God. And the promise he's made are going to be fulfilled. And I'm just sharing with you because this portion of, of Deuteronomy we're getting into is about Israel getting ready to cross over into the promised land. Brothers and sisters, you and I are getting ready to cross over into a promised land beyond what we can understand to be with the Lord forever. And so we have to realize, stop trying to do things, that's religion, and just start loving Jesus. Well, I think I should read so many pages of the Bible every day. Just start loving Jesus. Well, I think I should spend so much time in prayer. Just start loving Jesus. Well, I think I should be a good witness at work and everywhere I go. Just start loving Jesus, and it'll all happen naturally. You're not going to have to be taught rules and regulations and what you can do and cannot do. It'll all be natural. It'll flow from the heart, like living waters flowing up, Scripture tells us. That's the promises we have in the Lord. Now, as far as this portion is concerned, um, the first five verses of this portion of Deuteronomy actually is an overview of the whole book. And by the way, Deuteronomy in the Hebrew means the second law. Deuteronomy means the second law. In other words, Moses was going over the law that he had already given to the children of Israel because in, in 11 days they'd be crossing over the Jordan into the promised land. And um, also, Deuteronomy is known to the Jew, Jews as the book of reproof. And I think it's a good thing to be corrected by the Lord. I really do. In fact, in Hebrews 4.12, it talks about that very thing. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. And so it's a wonderful thing to be reproved by the Lord. You want to know why? Because the Lord is not a violent, bad father. He is a gracious, loving father. The Lord doesn't go, okay, you better get it right, you idiot. The Lord says, I love you, child. You're going in the wrong direction. Here you go. I'm going to map it all out for you. Here's the way you need to go. Here's what you need to be doing. And it's always wonderful. I've never had a time where I lay in bed at night and I think, 
what a bummer. I spent two hours in prayer today and an hour in the Word of God. Oh, what a bummer. You follow what I'm saying? When we are obedient to the Lord, it's a blessing. How wonderful it is. How wonderful to be walking in that kind of relationship with God. And he wants to have that relationship with all of us. Well, how can one God have that relationship with all, all of us? Because he is omnipresent. And what that means is he can be everywhere at one time. So at the very time that I'm in my prayer closet with Jesus Christ, you can be in your prayer closet with Jesus Christ at the same time. It's an amazing thing, amazing promises we have in the Lord. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, you know, I just want to mention one, one other thing, because you always have these uh, theologians out there that think they're so smart, and a lot of them have said they do not believe that Deuteronomy was written by Moses, that it was written either by Joshua or Ezra, and they give their reasons. I don't agree with that at all. When I read through Deuteronomy, it sounds like Moses. And it tells us it is Moses who is sharing it. So I think it probably was Moses, just for your information. You know, who has the time to sit around? Well, let's see, I wonder who wrote this book. You know what I mean? It tells us who wrote it. Anyway, sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting with verse 1. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain opposite Sufa, between Paran, Tophel, Laden, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizarahat. It, it, uh, it is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month of the first day of the month, very exact, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. After he had killed Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt in Ashtaroth, in Edrael. Now, Ashtaroth was a pagan moon goddess of the ancient world. And uh, it was a female goddess that they held up as a, a deity. Verse 5, on this side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. And sometimes I think the Lord says that to you and I if we're willing to listen. You've dwelt long enough here. It's time to move on. Verse 7, Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowlands, in the south and on the sea coast, to the land of the Canaanites. And also, just for your information, some translations will put, um, you know, different names besides Canaanite, Canaanites, but it's the same thing. And uh, to Lebanon... As far as the great river, the river Euphrates, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them their descendants, to give it to, and to give to them and their descendants after them. And so, what we have here recorded for us to read is what Moses spoke to Israel just before they were ready. 
to cross over the Jordan. It would be 11 days before they got to the Jordan and they crossed over. Now, the 40th year, as mentioned in verse 3, was a kind of a sad month for the Israelites because we find Miriam died in this 40th month. I'm saying 40th month. I mean 40th year. Remember, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So on this 40th year, we find that Miriam died um, in Numbers 20. And on the first day of the fifth month of this 40th year, we find that Aaron died, and that's in Numbers 11:20. And this same year, Moses would die before they entered into the promised land. Because what was happening is God was preparing them for the adventures that they would face after they crossed over into the promised land. In verse 4, uh, we, uh, and, and if you want to look at verse 4, after we're told about the killing of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and then in verse 6, we're told Moses began to explain this law according to the word of the Lord, that they had dwelt long enough on this side of the Jordan. And so, in the same sense, the Lord will often give us victories before he's ready to move us on to a new place with him. It's a wonderful thing. Because sometimes it's not good to carry some of our old baggage with, with us as we move on. And so, just like with these victories over these kings that are mentioned here before they crossed over into the promised land, the Lord will sometimes allow us to have victory over some of these evil kings that are holding us down. And I'm using that as an analogy. You know, there might be certain habits, there might be certain things, there might be certain people in your life that are just holding you back. And the Lord wants to give you the victory before you move on. Because we have to realize that the Lord does not intend for our walk to be stagnant. But we need to be continually moving on in our relationship with the Lord. You know, a uh, little saying that my wife loves, to, I don't know where she originally got it from, but she loves to say, is that every day, with the, with the Lord, every day is moving day when you're living in the state of grace. And that is so important. Every day is moving day when you are living in the state of grace. In other words, we're continually moving on. We're not to be stagnant. Well, here's where I am, and this is all the further I'm going to go. Now, the problem we have is that sometimes we can become so confident in our walk and feel so good about the victories that we've had that we're willing to just settle in right where we are. And we can't do that. We can't let go of our grip. We need to keep moving on with the Lord. Because here's the problem. If you're not moving on with the Lord, you start slipping backwards. And that's not something any of us want to do. Either we're walking or we're going backwards. You have to keep moving in the Lord. Now, I say this facetiously, but I think sometimes people think they become so mature that certain things that were sin in their life are no longer sin in their life. I've become so mature in the Lord that this is okay for me now that this is okay if I do this or do that. No, 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 no. When the Lord has given you victory, you keep moving on. You don't go backwards. That's a lie of the devil. It's a lie of Satan. We have to keep moving forward with the Lord. 
You know, um, in this particular portion, Moses was speaking to them while they were in the wilderness. And I want to share this with you because it's so important. And wilderness is taken from the Hebrew word midbar. And you know what midbar means? What do you think it means? It means uninhabitable. It means uninhabitable. It can't be inhabited. And so we have to realize that the Lord wants to move us on from those places that are in it. In a, in a, I can't say it now. You, don't, you know what the word I'm saying. <laughs> you ever do that? You get a weird word attack and you can't say it again? I have a hard time anyway speaking. But anyway, we need to move on, even if it is in uninhabitable. I knew that. Even though it is uninhabitable, we have to be willing to move on because we can't stay there. You know, how many of you would be lying on the edge of, of some oasis? You're in the desert, and you're dying of thirst, and you're dying of hunger, and you can look over, and you can see this oasis where there's all kinds of water, all kinds of fresh fruits, and so forth, and you say, you know what? I'm just going to stay here in the desert. I'm going to stay in this uninhabitable place, <laughs> right? We wouldn't do that. And so God was moving them from a place that was uninhabitable into his glorious kingdom, into his promises. And that's the promise you and I have, that we can flee from these things that hold us back, that give us no nourishment, that give us no you know, living water to drink, and we need to move in to the oasis that God has prepared for each one of us. And let me share this with you, too. When we're talking about the oasis that God has prepared for each one of us, it doesn't mean that once you become a Christian, everything is perfect. You'll never have another health problem. You'll never have another financial problem. You'll never have another relationship problem. Everything is just going to be perfect once you get saved. That's not the case. Here's the point. When you're saved, you're going to heaven. You belong to Jesus. When you're saved, you're saved. But it doesn't mean that we can escape all the problems and difficulties of life that surround us. Because even when the children of Israel entered into the promised land, they had battles to fight and victories to be won, but they had the victory. And that's what we have to realize with the Lord. And we have to make sure that we're not like those who failed to cross over. For instance, you have Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And remember, they said to Moses, well, look, I mean, everything we need for our children and our families, it's good grazing land for our cattle, good land to grow crops. We want to stay on this side of the Jordan. And Moses said, wait, you're going to stay here while your brothers go to fight? And so they said, well, well, we'll send our, our troops, and they'll go with them to fight until they've conquered the land, but we want to stay over here. Well, guess what? It ended up not being good for them. They're all destroyed. And so we have to understand that God has called us to cross over into the promised land, not to stay on the other side and make promises. And I think sometimes we do that. Well, Lord, I, I, I know you'd like me to really come into this place with you, but I really like it right here, but I promise I'll do this or that. And all of our promises are very empty. And we find, you know, with Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manassas, they ended up being destroyed because of their unwillingness to go all the way with the Lord. 
Now, in verses 9 through 18, it says, And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I alone am not able to bear you. Moses is talking, saying, I I can't take care of all of you at once. I I need help. And uh, verse 10, The Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord of our fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise, notice that, understanding and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, the thing which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and I made them heads over your leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers over your tribes. Every military has followed this example. You have squad leaders, you have platoon sergeants, you have company commanders, you have division commanders, you have unit commanders, you have the general of the army, and you have, you know, what I'm saying, and you have the president. Every military has followed this example where they break their, their uh, warriors down into certain groups of people with leaders over them. It's interesting. Verse 16, then I commanded your judges at that time, uh, saying, hear the cases between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of any man's uh, presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. That's the Supreme Court. Verse 18, And I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. And so what we have here in this portion, of course, is the establishment of a government. I remember... Years ago, when I was doing my undergraduate work, and I was taking a course in sociology, and that was maybe six, seven years ago. It's hard for me to remember, maybe 55 years ago. But anyway, I was taking a course in sociology, and I remember our sociology professor, Dr. Woolen. I still remember her name. And she said, government, anytime you have more than one person, you need government. It's true. Because if you think about it, any time there is more than one person, you have to have something to guide your order and rules. Even in marriage. We'll be talking about that at the marriage seminar. When you first get married, there's just the two of you. But guess what? There are things that you've got to work out. There's rules and regulations. And, of course, we need to base it on Scripture. But the Lord is laying out the fact that they needed to have some kind of a government some kind of a godly government that would rule and, and be established over the people. And these guidelines that were established here in this portion of Scripture are used by almost all democratic governments throughout the world. Think about the Magna Carta, which was used by the pilgrims when they first landed and, and you know, established governments in this country. They used the Magna Carta as their guide, and the Magna Carta is taken right from the Bible. And, of course, it was also the basis for the Constitution of the United States. They have biblical references. Now, some people, of course, have difficulty here when Moses said that your descendants shall be as numerous as the stars. 
Well, Moses didn't know what he was talking about because you realize there's billions and billions of stars and you have all these galaxies and you all have stars over. Well, here's what you have to realize. You have to go back to um, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5. Then he brought him, God bringing um, Moses, then he brought him outside, and, and this is uh, Abraham, and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So when he brought Abraham out and told him to look up and count the stars, he didn't have a refracting telescope. He was just looking up at the stars. And the most stars the human eye can see is 3,100 at any one time. It's the most stars you can see. So this is one of those places where you'll have skeptics that will say, see, there's no way any, anyone's descendants became as numerous as all the stars in the sky. Well, it's talking about the stars that could be seen with the naked eye. And, of course, uh, Israel at this time was probably over 2 million people. So they had already exceeded that amount by quite a bit. Now, um, all of those that were placed or appointed into authority were, number one, established under the authority of God and accountable to one another. And I think it's important for us to realize that all of us ultimately are accountable to God, but also we have responsibilities to one another. You can't just say, well, I belong to God and let my neighbor, who cares what happens to them? That's not the way it is. God encouraged us to love one another. God encouraged us to be willing to help one another. I mean, there'd be no reason to have church if it was just everybody was accountable to God. But we have church to come together that we might fellowship around the word and be there to encourage and to help you know, one another. That's the purpose of church. That's why it tells us do not, and understand, do not, that's the affirmative tense in the Greek. It means there's no messing around with this. This isn't a choice. Do not. Ow. Put this table here. <laughs> That's what happens when you're short. I'm, yeah. But it, it says, do not forsake the gathering of yourself together as some have grown in the custom of doing and gather together all the more as you see that day approaching. I just went through and showed you how close that day is. And it's so much more important than it ever has been for us to gather together in our worship of the Lord and our encouragement to one another because we're responsible to God and also to one another. No one, you've heard the saying before, no one is a law unto himself. We belong to God. We're also commanded in this portion to show no partiality. And the whole New Testament talks about not showing partiality. Read the, the epistle of James. You want to read James, okay? And Martin Luther called it the Epistle of Straw because he had a hard time with certain parts of it. It's not an Epistle of Straw. It's an Epistle of great, wonderful weight. And so you want to read the Epistle of James. But it shows the fact and it demonstrates that we should never show partiality. And sometimes that can be hard for us to do because if we're honest, okay, sometimes it's hard for us to be honest. But if we're honest, there are some people that you seem to like more than other people. There's some people that you seem to get along with more easily than you do other people. Well, that's our human nature. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is you don't show partiality because of that. 
You follow what I'm saying? Maybe this person is just kind of, eh, to you, and this person is kind of like, wow, I really love this person. And they have a disagreement. Well, I'm going to agree with the person I really, ah, I like. No, no, no. We're to show no partiality at all. Because all of our personal feelings can shade our love and commitment to the Lord. And so we have to be willing to love one another. We have to be willing to have that um, desire to not have certain attitudes towards this one and certain attitudes towards that one just because of their personality. We have to love one another. It's like Pastor Frank Jr. in the first service talked about the fact that in the Bible, it makes it clear there's no difference between people, including men and women. There's neither male nor female. There's no difference. We're all one in Christ. We all have eternal souls that need to be saved, and we one day will be walking with the Lord for all eternity. So we need to come to that place that we don't allow ourselves to have certain attitudes and partialities because of whatever. I mean, I know there's some people that don't like short people, and I, and I hate that about them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> get that? I hate that about them. Anyway, um, so we have to have this openness and this willingness to just love one another in the Lord. Because here's the thing. You might be looking around at certain ones that you know. I'm not talking about just here in church, just in life. You say, I, you know, they're, they're okay, but I sure wouldn't want to live with them. Well, here's the thing you have to understand. We're going to all be living together for eternity. Right? And what a wondrous day it'll be. When we all get to heaven, what a wondrous day it'll be. So we look at the beginning of this book of Deuteronomy and what it's doing, just like Moses was telling the children of Israel to do, is preparing us to cross over, to move to higher ground with the Lord. Don't be satisfied, brothers and sisters. Do not be satisfied with where you are. Satan wants you to be satisfied with where you are. You need to keep moving. Because when you're moving, you know, um, silly example, but I played football in high school and, and even a little bit in college. But anyway, when you have a running back, the first thing you want to do if you're on, on a defensive player like I was, first thing you want to do is stop him. Because once you stop him, somebody else takes him down. But if you have a running back, and he's got the momentum going, and he's going, you have all these guys who are trying to hang on to him, and he's just moving away from him. But the first thing you want to do is you want to stop the guy. And then, you know, your buddies take him right out. Stitches in the head. No. But uh, I was never that way. <laughs> but <clears throat> the point I'm getting at, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to stop us. We've got the momentum in Jesus Christ. We've got the momentum by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to, he's always throwing attacks at us. He wants to stop us. But we need to keep moving towards the goal for which we've been called heavenward in Christ Jesus, right? And the point is, none of us has to be warming the bench. None of us has to be second or third string. In Jesus Christ, we're all starters. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your love 
how thankful we are for the way that you're able to and continue to minister to us and through us. And I pray that we would move on to higher ground. We'd move on to the new places that you're calling us to. And Lord, how we long for that day when you call us out of this world and we have our glorified bodies. What a promise it is, Lord, to be with you and to worship you uninhibited, to have no other desire than to be in your presence and to cry out praises to your holy name. And so, Father, take and use the portions that we covered this morning to minister to us and encourage us in all your ways. And I ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends. And I'll either see you next week or in the sky, which would be better by far.